Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder Podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another installment of History Hack. Alina, who do we have with us today? I'm really excited today because we have someone super awesome with us today. We have Richard Osgood, who is a senior archaeologist. Hello, Richard. He's a senior archaeologist for the MOD. He has published books like The Unknown Warrior and The Late Bronze Age Warfare. You can find Richard on TV, especially on multiple episodes of Digging for Britain, alongside Alice Roberts. And he's won, wait for it, he's won the current archaeologist's live archaeologist of the year 2019 because he is just so awesome. He also runs an incredible project. I've made him laugh there. He also runs an incredible project that has changed lives called Operation Nightingale, which helps wounded, injured, and sick service personnel. I will talk a little bit more about this later, just in case anybody's interested in joining. So, hi, Richard. Hello, hello, Alina. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you. How are you faring in lockdown? Well, I mean, I've been I've been working at home, as I suppose we all have. Um, I was away working for a month in lockdown, but um, it's weird, isn't it? Because the weather's been so good, and yet we've not been able to do the things we want to do, like digging. I mean, you know, obviously people have had it a lot harder than archaeologists in some ways, but it is frustrating. It is frustrating. How about you, though? Me, I'm good. I'm in Poland. We're lifting lockdown now, slowly and surely. So the gym's okay. open next week, so I'm really excited. I'm like, wow. yes, I can go to the gym, which is awesome. But I feel really bad for you guys not being able to dig because it is like, it is something that you really need to do. And all our archaeologists are going absolutely crazy, uh, stuck inside. So I feel really bad for you guys. So we're not here just to talk about a big standard Saxon burial ground. Barrow Clump is special. Why is that? No, you're right. It's um, it's a, a multi-layered site, loads of different periods in this, this this particular monument. It's on the training area of Salisbury Plain, which is the most magnificent of areas, I have to say. So it's not far from Stonehenge, and you've got the army training around it all the time. And yet you've got this, this big mound with a clump of beech trees on it, and it's been excavated in part by badgers <laughs> over the over the past badgers. Um, few years by badgers yeah as i always tell people they're brilliant at doing the digging but they're rubbish at doing any of the recording so that's where we sort of stepped in to, to give a hand to this and it was also on a, a the thing that historic england has called heritage at risk because of the the, the damage of the burrowing animals um and th this monument's got prehistoric bits to it. It's got this uh, Saxon component, which we'll talk about. And it's got modern things as well. And I think that's really important that we re record the fact that the military's been in this area for well over 100 years now. And they've laid down, I think, their own archaeology. And I think it's pretty interesting. So we've recorded that as well. So it's literally like a complete mix of everything. 
Yeah, absolutely. I reckon you've got best part of more or less 6,000 years of, of, of heritage on this one little mound on the middle of the Army's training area. It's just a fascinating site. Quite incredible. That's, that is incredible. But tell us, how did you actually discover the site? Well, it's been known about for a year, uh, for a few years, Lena. It was looked at for the first time in the late 19th century by a chap called Lieutenant Colonel William Hawley. So it had a military link even back then. He was one of the, the, the people that excavated at Stonehenge too. And he went up to the site of Barraclum because he was told by the villagers um, that, that this is the last of the big mounds and it started to be ploughed. So he went up there, um, did a certain amount of digging and he did the, the, the archaeological techniques of the, of the time, which was really to, to look in the middle of the mound and find what was in there. And he found a couple of uh, pots um, and some human remains. So it's been known about over 100 years, but looked at in depth really just for the, the last 20 years, more, more or less, really. Do you know, that, uh, that whole area is just, it's just covered in Neolithic, Anglo-Saxon, um, yeah, it's, yeah. it's incredible. I mean, because you've is got... It is probably one of the most investigated landscapes from an archaeology point of view in the world. Uh, and yet we're still finding new things. That's what I love. You know, you, you sit and think, well, there's not much more we can find about these things. But these, these phenomenal deposits are turning up all the time. It's just, just, just great. And I, that's what I love about archaeology. It's that discovery moment, isn't it? I think we've all got that human intrigue about the past um i hope we do um, well that's why your podcast is going isn't it doing so well because people do have an interest in the past and, and the fact that we are able to find out so much new stuff all the time i think is magical there are neolithic burials too well the, the earliest things we've got on this um area around barra clump is there's there's sort of a land surface and the the, the burial mounds that we see later and we'll, we'll discuss they're they're plonked on top of this landscape which preserves the the sort of um, environmental data of, of what the, the Neolithic land surface looked like. But we've also had um, flint chippings from, from workings of material. We've had um, a belt, what we think is a belt slide. It's made of jet, this black rock. And so it might have come in from places like Whitby where this stuff naturally occurs, um, which you do find in, in Neolithic elements. And the, the earliest thing, which even excited Phil Harding of Time Team, he was quite excited by this, and that, that takes something now. Um, we've had a Neolithic pit, and uh, this pit dates to so the earlier neolithic dates to around about give or take 3700 bc and this pit had in the, at the bottom of it um an antler and it had a lump of sarsen stone and it had uh, flints as well flint hammers which is i think exciting because it's basically a stone tool working kit and you think of all the elements going around there for the early monuments in the neolithic that's that's phenomenal so the earliest monuments we got on the plane are from that period the big long long mounds the burial mounds 27 of them on the training area and you've also got something called robin hood's ball nothing to do with robin hood sadly but it's <laughs> it's called a coursewet enclosure where you some, sometimes have the, the um the dead excarnated buried in the open air until they're clean potentially and then the bones are put into the, the burial mounds so it's that sort of time period and that's you know five over five and a half thousand years ago and that's that was the very first phase so that's our neolithic bits do you know, I, I know a lot of people that are interested in burial practices, myself included, actually, because they're really mm. interesting. And you can tell so much just from looking um, at a burial pit, um, yep. even if it's a cremation pit. Yep. Yep. There's all sorts of data you can get. If you get a, um, some of the specialists, they can tell you how, even with a cremation, you can tell how many individuals is there. You can sometimes discern some pathology. Sometimes there are grave goods within there. Of course, you're looking at the stuff that was put into the grave by that society rather than the individual that was uh, put into the hole. But nonetheless, it's, it's, it can tell you a huge amount. And also with the scientific techniques that are improving all the time, um, 
human remains that are kept with respect to dignity in museums, you can find out um, sometimes where these people have come from, what their diets were, uh, and all sorts of elements that will return the humanity to them in many ways. So really exciting stuff that goes right back to the you know, Neolithic stuff. I think it's just an astonishing thing. And uh, I'm, I'd like to think of myself as a scientist. I'm not really. I'm a bit of a storyteller rather than um, someone with a scientific background. But, but scientists themselves, yeah, they, they bring so much to our, our understanding of the past with, with archaeology. So the Anglo-Saxons, what is a typical burial? What does it look like and what practices do we see? You know, that's a, that's a big that's a big question. Even the term Anglo-Saxon is debated a bit now because uh, uh, there's been a, a really good piece of work by Professor Susan Ustase at uh, Cambridge University about, I think it's called The Origins of the English, a uh, book about whether whether we are actual, you know, Anglo-Saxons or, or whether that, that's, the migration is actually quite small. So it's uh, quite a debated point. Um, so if we accept that it's either Anglo-Saxon or early medieval in our terminology, we can still talk about um, the burial practice of that, that time period. And for Baraklump, you're looking at the 6th century BC through to, um, from our radiocarbon dates, into the early 8th century. Um, and these, these things vary. It's difficult to say what a, what a, what a burial is like there, because at the top end of the um, early medieval burial practices you have things like Sutton Hoo which I'm sure loads of your uh, loads of your subscribers know about you've got um, wonderful helmets put into a, a, a ship burial with all incredible things and there's the Prittlewell Prince again beautiful grave goods with glass and incredible things then you move move down to slightly less complex graves uh, we, we want, dug one in um, the Cotswolds with some of our veterans last year and this was a young young boy who'd been given um, a sword, a spear, he had a knife, he had a glass bowl, in fact he had a glass uh, cone beaker as well. Um, so lots of nice goodies but perhaps not princely. And then you've got the, the more standard ones which are what we're getting really at Barra Clump. Um, and because they're early, uh, they're early through to um, 6th century through to early 8th century, you've got, you've got grave goods with them. And these are into rectangular cuts down into the chalk um, laid out, what we called very, very pompous, extended and supine, which means they're laying out on their backs, these burials are laid out. So um, that's what we, we're getting at the, the clump there. Formal burials, they're, they're not Christian. These are, these are pagan burials. Um, so therefore they've got, they've got grave goods. But you also get other burial types as well. But what we're talking about about barrack clump is um, rectangular cuts down into the chalk, into the earlier burial mound, and then... Um, with about a third of them, they've got items put into the grave with them. Did you actually find any uh, evidence of cremations at Baraklump? Yeah, we did. Um, in fact, we got some really early cremations. Uh, we talked about this site being multi-period, where we've got three um, prehistoric cremations from the earlier Bronze Age. And these are, two of them are in what we call uh, colloderns. These are quite large vessels with a with a rim round them and quite nicely decorated and they were turned upside down with a cremated individual inside them inside the uh, earlier bronze age burial mound and then there was an unearned cremation basically it was probably put into some sort of sack or a bag and that was put next to these cremation urns and that unearned cremation had what was left of an archer's wrist guard uh, polished stone with a perforation at each end interpreted as being uh, protection for the arm uh, when you when you're firing arrows that was cool um but we also thought in the earlier phases of our excavation that there might have been some Saxon cremations. And uh, we did find little bits of um, hints that there were 
bits of human remains that had been cremated, but no vessels. Until we went, went back to the site about three years ago and we found some squashed uh, pottery vessels with, with cremated human bone in. So those are the furthest west, we think, cremations of the, the 6th century that have been found in Britain so far. So we're really excited about that. The burials of uh, uh, the standard inhumations, the, the skeletal material, and then you've got cremations as well. So all sorts going on here. It's a real little, little necropolis, really. Why is the guy buried in a bag? Different different practices and different fashions. You think there are, you look at today, all the different burial <clears throat> and uh, funeral rituals there are. You could be uh, have a, a woodland burial. You could be in a sort of wicker casket. You could be cremated. You could be um, buried. There's all sorts of different practices and trends. And I think personal taste is, is, is some of this. Uh, that's what we're probably looking at in the Saxon period too. I was a little bit worried there that you were going to say they just didn't like it. They stuck them in a bag. Well, do you know what? There's going to be some burials of, of people that are are in some ways other than are in, in other areas. There was a, an excavation done by Cotswood Archaeology at Andover, which was a, a cremation, sorry, cremation, what am I talking about? It was an execution cemetery oh, from wow. the, the later Saxon period, and they found a Saxon coin by uh, the hand of one of these individuals. So if you didn't get, if you weren't popular, there were still ways of doing people over in, the, in that sort of time period as well. You might not be buried in the formal cemetery of the community. So I'm sure there were, uh, there was, there was badness going on as well, Alina, in that time for sure. Wow. Do you know what? I think we could do a whole different podcast on that because that actually sounds really exciting. You know, uh, it's cool. It's really cool. Yes, yeah, it's an incredible site. So let's talk about some of the male burials uh, that had yeah. items associated with the warfare. Yeah, it's an intriguing one because we talk about um, somebody buried with a spear. It doesn't necessarily mean that they are a warrior, although the, the military guys on the project, they like that because they, they're into weapons, if we're honest. And if you're finding um, a weaponry with, with a burial and you're an ex-soldier, um, you make that natural connection with what you're working on don't you and what we didn't find was any garnet i'd have loved to find some garnet because one of the sources for that is afghanistan and you think a lot of our our participants have been to afghanistan that would have been just too neat but we didn't get any of that sadly but we did get um several spears um so if you're thinking possibly use of warfare although um it's a kind of indication of being a, a certain status within um, early medieval society to have a spear. But we did find um, a fair few of them. Uh, we've got also uh, shield bosses. These are the, the circular metal things right in the middle of the, the Anglo-Saxon shield. And the wood's rotted away. Sometimes you get the fittings, little metal decorative pieces to it. But um, we found, I think it was nine shields and 12 spears, or nine shield bosses and 12 spears. So quite a few oh, of those. Um, and if you go up the scale, we found one, what's it called, a Sayax. Uh, if any of, your, any of your subscribers have watched The Last Kingdom on the telly, you might know what a Sayax is. It's a, a single-edged bladed weapon. So instead of like a sword when you've got two sharp edges, Sayax, it's like a large knife, so it's got one sharp edge. But this thing was, this thing's pretty, um, pretty special because it's the biggest one, again, in Britain. Um, from this time period, and it was found with an adult adult male burial. And we, I'd love to find women with weapons on this site. It's very gender-specific burial. The chaps tend to be buried with weapons or drinking vessels, that sort of thing, and the women with jewellery. I want a woman with a sword or a chap with a um, with fancy jewellery, but we just we just haven't had it, sadly. I was going to ask that. Did you find no, any men so, that had uh, female-style grave goods, for example? No, we did. We did in the Cotswolds last year. We, we found... Um, uh, a skeleton that had largely male attributes from its pathology. We can't say 100% that it's a, a male, but it looks like it. 
Um, and this, this individual had jewellery. So that's, that's one possibility, but sadly at Barraclump didn't occur. The, the one thing that we did get really excited about, we had uh, one of our, our corporals in the rifles, he'd wanted to find, he's got a cat walking across, the perils are working at home, sorry. Um, one, of the, one of the things we really, and now there's working on the, you know, she's typing as well while we're working, can you stop that? We did find, um, one of our rifles guys was really desperate to find a sword from day one on the project, this is the three year excavation. So he was saying, one thing he wants to find is a sword. And we had to tell him they are so rare. They are so rare on sites. You just don't find them, really. Um, and uh, for three years, he'd been going on to the site director about wanting to find this sword. And the military do this thing called banter, yeah. which is basically winding people up. As far as <laughs> I'm and he was winding up the site director for three years about this thing. But our site director, a chap from Wessex Archaeology called Phil Andrews, magic guy, he was, uh, he'd learned banter by three years. So on the it last took him week, three years. Oh no, he learned pretty quickly. Frankly, the, the, the soldiers gave him quite a good crash course. But uh, by three years, he was an expert at this thing. And on the last week of the uh, the last year of this excavation, this chap who'd wanted to find the sword, a chap called Winnow, Steve Winterton from the Rifles, said um, he's digging his grave and he finds a long piece of iron in the grave. So he was really excited. He stood up. Actually, he said. His heart was going so fast. He said, I've not, I've not felt like this since I was mortared by the Taliban. It's, just, it's a phrase you've never had on time, team. Wow. Um, which is, so he, he said, and he says, says to, to Phil, the director, is this what I think it is? And he wanted to find the sword. And Phil looks over and goes, oh, yeah, it's part of a tractor. At which point Steve obviously looks crestfallen. Um, but, of course, this is Phil winding him up and said, no, you're right, it is a sword. And this sword was lovely. It's about 85 centimetres long. It's pattern welded. It's got the remains of the scabbard, which was made of wood. And it's got um, sheep's wool on the inside, so you can draw the sword out nice and quickly. It's got decorative fittings made of bronze with gold leaf on the top of it. It's got a handle made of horn. Um, just super lovely. It was, made, it was found by the right person the right part of the dig it was a it was a brilliant end to the project and uh, we were really uh, really happy with that and then two years later we came back for a little bit more emergency work and one of the other soldiers found another really big sword not as nice as windows maybe but so we've had two swords from this site so oh, wow. overall quite a lot of weaponry doesn't mean they're warriors but certainly there, there is there is weaponry on this site which is um which is really interesting we have found uh, looking through the pathology and Kirsten um, Dinwiddie at Wessex Archaeologies looked through all the human remains to look at any sort of um, visible elements on the bones that can tell us a bit more about them. And they did find that two of the individuals had um, traces of, of, of violence that could, you could equate perhaps to, to, to bladed um, weapons. There are blunt force traumas that you get on some of the bones, but there's one child that's got a blade injury to the skull and then an older male who's got um, damage to his left uh, femur, his leg. And the bone has started to, to remodel, it's, it's, it's regenerating, so the person wasn't killed with it, but it does seem to be that two of the people have been smacked with something sharp and heavy. So that's our, our, our best evidence for some sort of violence on the site. And I'm pretty sure that a lot of this was not too uncommon in, in this time period. There are other cemeteries, places like Eccles have got evidence in Kent for, um, for violence going on. So I think that that's, that's something that it's really worth looking at when you go through cemeteries to find as much as you can from the stories of the bones themselves so we've got weapons we've got a couple of blade injuries possibly indicative of, of some sort of violence at the time but don't want to be too dogmatic on that good I though love that. i love that i love that i love that sword story that is such a cool story 
Yeah, it was it was a really really lovely touch, and this this sword is a is a magical thing. And his face when he found it, it was just a, it was just lovely that somebody who's had a very different career to to me, coming through the military and going through operational um, tours, a lot of them, gets that same thrill of discovery and excitement and, and wonder when you find this item. And swords and swords are a magical thing. You just think have have to think of Excalibur that they have their own personality and narrative and, and stories given to them and to, to be able to find something like that is just precious i've never found anything as good as that quite jealous if i'm brutally honest can you see it anywhere is that in any of the museums that's that's a really good question lots of the all these artifacts that we found at barrow club we have uh, two collecting museums connected with the training area um and there's like a, a weird 38th parallel that runs across it south of the line the finds go to salisbury museum and north of the line to go to the Wiltshire Museum in Devizes. And all the finds will go to Devizes. Um, at the moment, we've just finished the, the excavation book. So you can, you can see the results there. And all the finds will soon, therefore, be transferred to Devizes. At the moment, there's one find on display, and that's uh, Kenny's drinking vessel. It's uh, uh, that, was, that, was a, that was another, oh, another he's so similar... He's so happy with that, isn't he? He was just oh, so happy goodness, when he found that. story is the best. If any, if any of you lot of watch the television series Detectorists, and if you, if you haven't do, because it's beautiful, there's a, a moment in there where Lance, one of the characters, has found uh, an Astol, a, a beautiful Saxon jewel. And this goes on display in the, in the museum, the British Museum, and he's, he's proudly goes to visit it and have his photograph taken next to it. And Kenny's bucket is our, is our sort of equivalent, because that's now on display in Devizes Museum. You can go and see this thing. And what it is, it's a, uh, a little drinking vessel about... 20 centimetres in height, a circular thing with bands of bronze with a little um, dotted decoration on it. And it's still got the original wood of this drinking cup made of yew. Um, so as such, it's probably the best preserved in Britain. You can go and see this thing. And um, there was, a, there is still actually a photograph of, of this find next to the Sutton Hoo helmet in the British Museum and naming Kenny, Rifleman Kendrick of the 5th Battalion, the Rifles, as the finder. And again, I'm never going to get anything like that. But Kenny at school was told when he said he wanted to do archaeology, that probably wasn't the career for him. He was never going to be able to do it. So he joined the infantry instead. But now, um, having been medically discharged, he is a professional archaeologist and he's found that. So it's just, just the best story. So go and see Kenny's Bucket in Devizes Museum, which is an altogether great place to visit anyway. When you can, when you're allowed to go visit museums again. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss what kind of things do you specifically find in the women's graves we found sets of tweezers and we found cosmetics brushes um, we have found a horse bridle as well 
Um, and there are lots of brooches and beads. Um, again, I'm, don't, want to be, don't be guessing too much, but I'm guessing you've probably got some beads or maybe a brooch tucked away somewhere. Right? Yeah, so I've got my grandmother's yeah. pearls, if that counts. Yeah, of course it does. So you've got these. So that's an interesting one because that's um, your sort of family heirloom, isn't it? And we found um, items with some of the um, women that possibly could be heirlooms themselves because these are Roman brooches, some of them. And that may be indicating that these, these things have been handed down. And as fashions change and the, um, the ideas of what, what's fashionable for jewellery wearing alter, then although they try to wear Saxon disc brooches or button brooches and some of these have little faces of warriors on, they're very cool. They've still had to make do with, with older stuff or, or wanted to use older stuff like the Roman brooches. So you've got heirlooms there. I, I think the beads are they're glorious and gorgeous. We've got amber, which is a magical material, as you know. I mean, you've got so much in the, in the Baltic that's beautiful. Hold it up to the sun and it has this golden orange glow through it. And, you know, it looks like hardened fire. I think it's just a great thing to have. Um, and I'm not the only one to think that. We did a... a one particular year on site where you've got two individuals were excavating graves and do enjoy telling this story, especially if they're listening. You've got a Royal Marine, a chap called Dickie Bennett, in one grave that he's excavating. Sorry, Next hold on. Two, Dickie, Dickie was excavating. Yeah, I know. It's a long time ago. So he was in, he was in a grave next to um, a chap called Matt Smith from the Signals who was excavating another female grave. So these two are excavating two quite important female burials, and both of which had just stupendous beads in their beautiful blue beads in the shapes of flowers or ones with reds and yellow swirls made of glass and amber and these two individuals you know they're all non-commissioned officers in military units were arguing about who had the prettier jewelry and you think well gentlemen <laughs> if you had been doing that in your mess a few years ago i think you would have probably got a very different reaction to the one you're getting now but yeah, it was great. So these guys are finding absolutely gorgeous jewels. Some of the uh, some of the, the brooches we've had have been coated with with gold leaf, so they have this this shine when the sun glints on them. Um, and in fact, the first grave that was excavated by um, Jonathan Last's team from what's now Historic England in two thousand and three was the the biggest brooch that was found on site. It's called a great square headed brooch, and it's got anthropomorphic designs of sort of humans and animals and interweaved saxon trace work and it's a big thing and it'd been important because it'd been damaged in antiquity and still been repaired so this is an item that people wanted to keep and maintain and this thing was made of bronze but with a gold leaf on it and it just just shimmers again it's uh you don't need to be um particularly appreciative of art to know that this these things were well stunning and gorgeous and, and just very lovely and, and very important to the fact they went into the graves rather than being kept um, shows about what they felt about the people that were, were being given them so the women tend to get jewelry and the chaps weapons gender specific as i say but yes the women were certainly given good stuff and stuff that was is recognizable today and i mentioned that the tweezers and the cosmetics brush they're designed classics they still look exactly the same now as, as they did in the uh, in the seventh century so we've had women we've had men what about children yeah, we've, we have had quite a few uh, children as well, um, probably just about under, under a third. We've, I'd say overall, we've had, I think it's 110 burials from this site, and that includes the cremations and the prehistoric ones. And there's certain areas we couldn't dig because tree roots just meant that it was just impossible and we would have damaged the trees. So we, we are guesstimating there's about 150 
individuals in this particular cemetery and there's certain areas that aren't threatened by badgers so we've left those burials in place so if you think about 150 just under a third of those are children and those children um tend to be on the the southern end of the barrow um the barrow itself is on the top of a hill and it looks down onto the the floodplain and the river and the, we think the settlement of the, the saxon period was down uh, towards the river probably at ablington or Fyldeen. And you're looking up at the barrow from this settlement and you see whether your your relatives are buried in the in the burial mound, the last one that survives on the hill. So um, the children are probably the closest to the settlement going down the hill. And usually you don't tend to get too much by way of grave goods with um, with children. But we did find a few burials that did have little things that went into the, the graves with the, with the youngsters. Um, so we had things like... Um, a set of uh, keys with one of them, a chatelaine sort of thing, or maybe it was a, um, a purse with purse fittings. We're not entirely sure. A couple with brooches. Um, and, you know, when you work with human remains, it's a, it's a very, um, it's, an, it's a time laden with pathos. You've got to be respectful when you work with human remains. And they are poignant because this is the fate that's going to befall all of us. So you've got to be dealing with this with respect. Um, and lots of our participants, the military guys, have seen death quite a bit so we were always concerned whether this would have big effects on them but for the most part they're they're fine there's enough disassociation of the the time period from when they served to the burial mounds but you've got to be um, aware of this as a possibility but the things that really do affect you and affected them was digging uh, the burials of children because lots of them are our parents and you think about the the mourning that went on with someone who just hasn't lived their life and that's that's a really um a poignant moment i think when you're digging children so i think we've had it's about 17 um youngsters 17 children and there are there are 10 of 10 people below the age of 18 but above the age of 14 so whether that made them adult or not so a good number of children and that's a, a very poignant element whether or not we can find whether they're related to any of the adults as we presume that's something for, for later studies um, oh, wow. and you can do you could do these sorts of things maybe with DNA links. Uh, costs a lot of money, uh, but people are, are looking at associations between adults and children in cemeteries through through DNA studies at the moment. So that's what we've got to do. Science is science is great. We can do so much more stuff, like looking at where these people came from through the uh, the isotopes of the teeth. They're looking at the dental enamel, and we found that these people aren't usually migrants, so they're not part of this German migration in the uh, in the sixth centuries. These are local people that have all adopted continental fashions there's a couple of exceptions but mostly these are our wiltshire folk that likes um that like continental fashion it's just brilliant the way you can find so much out about these people yeah it's really good isn't it and all these different techniques that you can bring to it even like um facial reconstructions that we haven't done any for barrack Lump, but you can do them from so many different perspectives we did it for a first world german soldier we found um i say we it was a, a group called face lab at, at liverpool john moore university and uh we did it also for a prisoner for the 18th, 19th century in Portsmouth. And it's, you know, the techniques are, are really good. They use them in crime um, solving cases as well. So it's, it's not something that's random. There are, there's very good scientific basis for this. And I think it just, if you're getting maybe a place of origin for this person, what their diet was, what maybe they even looked like, what their hair color was, what their eye colors were, you're, you're making them a person again, aren't you? And I think that's the, the goal of all these studies is, treat these remains with dignity and try and restore some humanity if you can do it no i, I love it 
So which one was the most interesting out of all of them for you? Oh, now you're talking. Uh, real questions there. So it depends what you're into, really. I mean, some people would have found the guy with the sword, the really big sword and spear that we found a couple of years ago that the most interesting. Others, the female with all the grave goods. And um, I don't know. I think if I was, if I had to choose, I think the one that was most unusual, um, or, or in fact, it's unique, was um, a female burial who's. Um, buried with the only, the only bone pin that we found on site was with her. And she had one brooch with her, and it was made of iron. Um, it's called an estragal, and it had also bands of brass. And what's made that so significant is that it's a, a Visigothic brooch. Oh, wow. um, and it's the only one from a grave in Britain. There's only one of two that have ever been found in Britain of this type. And it just makes me wonder whether this, this, this woman was in some ways, maybe she, maybe she was a goth. Maybe she's come in from... Um, southern, uh, southern France or northern Spain as part of the, the, the Germanic movements down into that area and then over to Britain. Um, she's someone we definitely want to have a look at her isotopes and DNA. That's a, a project for the future. But um, it's such an unusual item that maybe there's something special about her and then maybe there's a good story to tell about her. So I do like that. I think that's the, uh, from my perspective, the, the most interesting grave. Um, but there's, there is another curiosity. There's something we call a... Uh, a deviant burial that doesn't mean that this is somebody that operation yew tree was after it's just an odd one we talked about the fact that all the graves are proper grave cuts in rectangular cuttings into the chalk well this one wasn't he was just um thrown in on top of a couple of earlier graves and he was in he looked like a sort of like a goalkeeper trying to make a save with his arms all outstretched and his backside sticking up and that had been um, ploughed away so he was missing um, parts of his anatomy but there was done with no respect no grave goods and just chucked in a hole and he is Saxon he hasn't got fillings or anything it's not like a later thing um, <laughs> so what what is his story that's that's a really peculiar one again it's something that we have to investigate um, longer term and you know archaeology the, the digging is just a small part of the story and the investigation afterwards takes a load of time mm. but that's something really to watch out for to see what is the story of this this deviant burial so I'm that's that's to... curious you have to watch your Twitter Twitter page. Twitter yeah, when we find any more happen. about that. Yeah, um, see any more about that, please do have a look at it, please. Did you find any patterns when it came to how the graves were laid out? Yeah, we did. Um, um, the, the children tend to be more to the, the southern end, um, the lower end of the Barrow Mound, facing down towards the village, uh, the, what we presume to be the villages. Uh, they're, they're not laid out east-west in sort of Christian alignments. They tend to make use of the, the Barrow Ditch, um, nice soft soil to dig into. Um, some of it in what's called the berm of the barrow, which is the flat area between the ditch and the mound. Um, but they're, they're making use of the topography. They probably had um, some sort of wooden post or similar element marking where the graves were, because these graves tended not to be cut into one another. And when you think there's over 100 of them, it was probable that with that density, you would have cut into them if they weren't marked in any way. And they're, they're, they're basically following the topography of, of the mound. So kids at one area have got areas where there are more um, women and children. There are some areas where there are more burials with shield bosses. In fact, one of the soldiers came out with a really nice, elegant idea was that the ones buried together in the, in the ditch of the barrow, there was an area where you had um, several shield burials together. And he thought that that was providing a shield wall of protection for others buried behind those, those men in the barrow um, in a very kind of... Um, military fashion having a wall of protection and it's a nice idea it may, may be right may not be right but it's great that soldiers are coming up with this idea and looking at patterns developing within them so there are spatial patterns um 
but some of it's quite difficult to discern, I think. I like that, looking outside of the box. That's quite, it's quite poetic, yeah. really. Yeah, yeah, it's great. So the site was, you briefly actually mentioned this, but the site was reused by the Anglo-Saxons. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, well, it's, you know, we're talking, this is an Anglo-Saxon, um, we're talking about Anglo-Saxon or early medieval, depending on how you uh, take the nomenclature. It's, um, it starts off in the, the Neolithic, as we spoke about. You've then gone into the, uh, the Beaker period, in fact, where you've got um, a couple of crouched burials. So these little uh, burials in uh, fetal positions all tucked up um, with, a, with a pot with them. Um, and they're there from about 2400 BC. Then you've got the earlier Bronze Age mound. And then it's ploughed in the Roman period. We think we're getting a lot of Roman pottery. Then the, the Saxon early medieval phase from the 6th century through into the 8th century. So you've got a lot of chronology, thousands of years worth of use. And then it really goes out of use, we think, in the early 8th century. Um, that's the, the latest we've really got anything there. And then the next phase of any real significance probably is the planting of trees on it, the beech trees, and then the excavation in the 19th century. So, so that's what you're looking at. Um, the, the early medieval or Saxon period really over a period of about 120, 130 years. That's probably what we're looking at. So you've, we've talked about some of the rare finds, obviously, uh, the woman with the brooch. Is there anything else that was, that was rare that, you know, you wouldn't find anywhere else? Or maybe you just found one or two? Um, I think, well, the, the brooch and the pit and the Visigoth one, that's, that's definitely, <coughs> excuse me, definitely the, the most unusual thing. Other things you do find in local cemeteries that are similar. There's a site called Blacknall Field in the Vale of Pusey, which is probably the, the closest parallel to it, uh, same sort of time period, same sort of deposits. So I think, um, yeah, the rarest find is the, the Visigoth brooch and, of course, I have to mention it again, Kenny's bucket. Those are the two um, <laughs> finds that are of most, um, uh, the, the most unusual. Because swords you do find, they're, they're not common, but they are, um, they are present on other sites. But this bucket is the most intact, as far as I'm aware, one in Britain and certainly a, an item of beauty. Um, and the Visigoth one is unique from a grave. So those, those, are, the, those are definitely the, the two most unusual things. Kenny's going to love it that we've mentioned him a few times. I know, now. I know, I know. Yeah, we'll have to tag him in all of this. <laughs> so, uh, obviously you guys have been back and forth from the site, what, four, maybe five? How, how many times have you done it already? Yeah, well, I keep saying that's it. We're not going back. And then there's always exactly. <laughs> something else to do. Well, we did, um, um, John and his Historic England team worked there for a couple of years. And then we went there from 2012 to 2014. And that was going to be, that was it. We weren't going to go back again. And then um, the Badgers weren't listening because they did a little bit more digging in 2017 and a few more bones came out. So we went back in the winter of 2017 and that was cold. That was November, December. It was frost on the ground. We had one of our soldiers digging. who was a Highlander and he thought he was having a heart attack because it was so cold. And he was a Highlander. Oh, so, wow. uh, yeah, that, that was emotional. Um, so we did a bit there in that winter, came back because of that in the summer of 2018 and found more burials, including the second of the sword burials. And then I thought that would definitely be it. This was to test the ground, the effects of military vehicles and their ground pressure on the, the cemetery. It turns out very little. Uh, the, the burials are well protected, even though they're being tracked over by some quite heavy bits of armour. We keep them off the burial mound itself, but the rest of the cemetery that isn't scheduled to start a protected monument is still um, potentially vulnerable from tracked vehicles going over it. But in fact, the chalk keeps the burials very well preserved. 
And then we did a second and final, final season last year, looking at the ground pressure on the prehistoric ring ditches, where we looked at the bits of the Neolithic land surface and some of our beaker burials, where there were five phases of, phases of burial on one mound. And again, those, those are quite well protected from any pressure. So I'm not going back um, at all, this. ever. <laughs> I say this until probably next year when the badgers find something else and we'll be straight back again. It is the site that keeps giving a lot of people have a lot of emotional attachments to it now because it's a lovely place we we tend to camp out there um and you have a an evening fire around the site and tell your tales and that's it it's a, it's a lovely cathartic beautiful area to be perfect for our nightingale exercise because it's just a, a place of solace i think um but i don't want to go back we've got other sites in mind near it that maybe when when lockdown and social isolation is, is eased a wee bit we can go and do some some field work later summer, I hope, this year. But we're not going back to Barrow Club. I know people want to know how to get in touch with you guys because if you are out there and you are struggling or you are lost or, or you just want to join in with a, a group of amazing guys and girls, then get in contact with Operation Nightingale. I highly recommend it. So tell us, Richard, how do these guys get in contact with you? As a, as a, it's a good question. We do have a, a government website. Um, I can't remember what it is, but go, Operation Nightingale into Google and you'll find, you'll find it. There is a, a government website, but it's but a, pretty much a static page with a link on it. The best way really is to follow us on social media. So if you look on um, Facebook, there is an Operation Nightingale open page. You can get in touch with that. And what we also tend to do is to get our recruitment going for veterans to take part through, through other companies, things like the Defence Archaeology Group, and in particular, Breaking Ground Heritage. If you go on their website and you go on their uh, Facebook page or look at them on Twitter, look at Breaking Ground Heritage, and they, they do a lot of my staffing of the dicks. So they will bring in the veterans and they'll bring in the, um, the service personnel to, to help work on these sites. And they're, they're fantastic. They do it all through charitable goodness. Um, so, so look at that. Breaking Ground Heritage and Operation Go. Have a look at them and come and join us. Okay, so we'll, we'll be getting Dickie on at some stage to talk about some of the other digs you guys have been doing with uh, Breaking Ground Heritage. Yep. Yeah. So there you go, guys. Join up. Have a look. Do it. Trust me, it will be the best decision you have ever made. So, Richard, honestly, thank you for coming to join us, talking to us about oh, Operation thanks, Nightingale. I mean, learning about Saxon Graves and, and Barrow Clump in general, it's just been an absolute awesome time chatting to you. So thank you so much. Join us tomorrow. Claire Kennan brings just her epicness to talk about the Black Death. She is so passionate and so knowledgeable, and you will be hooked on this. I've never seen anyone so excited by plague. But she is, and it means that you just want to listen to her forever. So join us for that. Don't forget, you can become a patron of History Hack for as little as a dollar a month. Just go to www.historyhack.podbean.com. It will help us keep going in the aftermath of the coronavirus, and we would really appreciate it, as we would love to do so. There now follows a public service announcement. I'm Horatia Hornblower, and I'm Archie Kennedy. The simplest gift you can give in these troubled times is to obey orders. Indeed. The regulations are very clear in the matter. It is the duty of all of us to remain at anchor until the little people in the talking box signal you otherwise. You don't want to end up getting flogged. Good day to you. Good day to you both. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.